Don't tell me what to talk about, Colton. Do not say anything you want to edit. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, there's definitely no editing, so keep it super PC, polite. Yeah. Don't worry about Zeno. We just talk around him. Oh. <laughs> Zeno literally hasn't said anything yet. That's perfect. Yeah, that's how this episode is going to go. <laughs> Well, listener, uh, we're excited to introduce guest. Hello, guest. Hello. Uh, hello. I'm happy to be a guest. Yay. All right. Mark, Mark Viothaler, uh, you are at Whiskey Del Bach uh, on the board of ACSA. You do all sorts of cool shit in the industry. That's your intro. That's what I'm giving you. Do you want to say anything about yourself and why you've made the grand mistake of joining us today? Well, at some point, I ended up friends with y'all, which I'm actually totally okay with. So, <laughs> no, this is this is this is great. I'm thank you. I'm glad we're able to make it happen. This has been, God, what months in trying to get our schedules to sync up. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm just thrilled to be here. Uh, always happy to talk about booze, anything related to booze, and anything not even vaguely related to booze. The, the problem is getting me to shut up. That's actually the biggest <laughs> issue. <laughs> Good because that actually fills in. Usually on this podcast, we just have like tons of dead space and just quiet <laughs> moments in between us trying to figure out what to say next. So this is going to fill in nice. Which I guess I should do the drop. This is the Still Talking Podcast, our reverent distilling industry podcast with Colton Zeno, me Brian, and you now, Mark. Mark, tell us what the hell you've been up to. What's going on in your world in uh, your sector of distilling? Oh my god! Well, still trying to get people to recognize that American single malt is a thing. Uh, trying to survive in the absolute shit show that is craft distilling right now. I mean, I think, you know, I assume assume in Arizona, at least this summer, you haven't had to turn the still on. You just put the, (laughs) you just put the beer in and it fills. Okay. So, (laughs) okay, cool. So we're, we're just going to talk about my issues with my chiller. That's what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, it is. It has been an absolute nightmare. Uh, we we finally broke. Uh, we had forty five, more than forty five degree or days of one hundred and five degree temperatures. Uh, just absolutely unrelenting heat dome. And because we live in a place that is mostly dry, we have a cooling tower that cools our condenser water. And we also have a chiller, but that uh, chiller is fed in through that cooling tower. And so when that is working over time, I am calling our mechanics about two to three times a day. (laughs) Hey, my distillate is 80 degrees. This is a problem. What can we do to fix it? (laughs) Dear Lord. That's terrible. Uh, oh, it's it's been brutal. But again, we 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 broke a hundred last day of July, so it was one day short of every day in July being over a hundred degrees. Uh, and looking forward to next week, we are finally starting to see that temperature cool down. So, and, uh, and you make your whole team for safety reasons wear full full like heat suits, protective gear, everything. <laughs> Right. Oh, rubber has it all day. Oh, all day. Oh, sweating? No, no, no. We do not body regulate in this <laughs> in this economy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, what do you I'm, do to acclimate? <laughs> so honestly, I'm really thankful. We actually, so we do have swamp coolers in the production space, and so even like, so we're in what's called monsoon now, which 
you know, like 50, 60% of the moisture we get for the year comes between June and September. That's where all the rains come in off of the ocean, cool things down. But that also means our humidity spikes, which means swamp coolers are essentially worthless. But even with those swamp coolers running, in production, we're looking at like 85 degrees. So it is survivable. Uh, we do have an office area that is air conditioned. So it is a very much a, you are staying hydrated, you're taking AC breaks, and you are not just spending eight, nine hours in the unbearable heat in the still how, room. How big is your, I, I, I don't know that much about Dell box production. Is it, I assume you're 24 seven all the time. <laughs> thousands of dollars a minute oh my god if only no we're uh we're we're we're, we call it small but mighty um it's it's kind of nice when people see the attention we're getting and you know the accolades we're bringing down we're we're on a thousand gallon system uh well i should say our fermentations are on a thousand gallon system we're still rocking a single 500 gallon copper pot still uh and it's two of us knocking it out single shift five days a week uh, we actually did just turn the faucet back on, uh, really looking forward to kind of getting stuff. Uh, sales are increasing, which is good, which is always the goal. Uh, so yeah, so we're, we're back to producing kind of full blast heading into 2024 and hasn't happened yet, but at least the discussions have started of maybe adding a second shift going into 24 to meet demand. Good. What else are you producing yeah. besides single malt? That's it. Well, I, okay, I can't say that's it anymore. Uh, in-house, just single malt. Uh, 100% of our production is focused on American single malt whiskey. Uh, November of last year, we launched what we called our Sentinel Straight Rye. Uh, really, as you all know, you know, making single malt is a lot of work. Not high yields, labor intensive. One of the things we're also really proud of at Whiskey Del Bach is we pay a fair wage. So those prices reflect that in the bottles. Uh, you know, we 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 get people that are like, "Wow, you guys! I think our our cheapest, which is our unsmoked new make, is in around the forty-ish range, all the way up to like our special releases around one hundred and twenty. So obviously, we're not selling in bulk. <laughs> You know, when you when you have, you know, 50, 60, 90, 120 dollar price points, you're selling to people who are enthusiasts who really like the product that does not make a high volume business. So our uh, CEO is actually formerly with High West. So, you know, mm-hmm. help kind of write the book on sourcing, doing unique finishing, creating things that if you're being transparent, you're being honest about it, you can make, you know, these more affordable options. And so last year we launched our Sentinel, which is our source dry. Uh, again, because it's so labor intensive, trying to get the single malt into the bottle out the door, making sure that it's high quality. People have asked, are you going to do a bourbon? Or are you going to do a rye? We just, we're not set up for that. That is, we're, Again, we're we're on a Scottish model system. We louder everything. It is all off grain. It is single copper pot distillation. So it is running five to six days a week just to get our single malt out. We started this discussion of okay, if we do a source, we want to make sure again we're doing it the the right way. We're being transparent. We're telling people where it came from, and then we're not just taking sourced product, putting it into a bottle, claiming that was Grandpappy's. Uh, 10 100 year old recipe and by god just because it's grandpappy's recipe it's just coincidentally every other major sourced products recipe out <laughs> on the market uh so yeah so we we took in 
In oh, fact, yeah, it well. could be someone's grandpappy's recipe. <laughs> you know, sheer sheer data would say that yes, at some point it probably was. There's not um, a lot else to do in Indiana, so right. Well, and and you know exactly where we're going. Then you know we we. I was going to say, where are you sourcing from, and why isn't it me? <laughs> well, so asking the real questions. That is me. actually a really good question. Um, I would love to. I would love to taste taste some of the juice. Basically, I I went through about a hundred different uh, sourced rye samples from super small guys that were looking to get into the game. To of course, you know MGP, the big boys, and it just kind of came down on price point and yep. quality. Like to be able to get. A, a a competitively priced rye that would you know be in the range that could move at volume focused on cocktails we tasted some really good rye that was just out of our price range we tasted some actually absolutely trash rye <laughs> didn't meet any of the specs we wanted and, cool. and and we're still still out of your price range <laughs> and we're still out of our price range <laughs> and yeah you know there's there's a reason 90% on the market right now is, is coming out of Indiana. It's, it's solid, it's consistent, and it's kind of a good backdrop to play around with. Uh, again, we, we didn't want to just take it, label it, claim we made it. So obviously because we're known for our American single malts and specifically we're known for our mesquited American single malt, obviously we knew we had to do something with mesquite. Simple answer, finish it. You know, we have hundreds of barrels of our mesquited new make that we've harvested that it's easy to take this rye, put it in a barrel, let it finish. And, you know, we could, probably could have called it good at that point, but it, we weren't really happy with it. Uh, it just it wasn't different enough. It was it was interesting, but it was still clearly, you know, juice from out of Indiana. And because I've never had a good idea, I've stolen plenty of others <laughs> just looking at like traditional yeah. Tennessee style. You know, uh, filtering over the sugar maple uh, charcoal, it's like, well, we are, since we actually do malt our mesquited malt in house, we are producing a ton of mesquite charcoal every single month. And so we're like, well, what if we do that? What if we take this charcoal that we're creating and we run this finished rye across this mesquite charcoal? And that just kind of, it just livened it up. It created this really interesting mouthfeel. It created just kind of this hint of mesquite on it. And it was different enough that we felt comfortable putting it into a bottle and saying, hey, this is kind of our, our twist on it. And, you know, our, our branding reflects that. You know, we're, we're very clear on the label that it is distilled in Asian Indiana, that it is finished, blended and processed by us. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's the newest thing. But for, for what we're making in-house, it is still 100 percent owned make American single malt whiskey. Now, did you rinse the charcoal or did you just pull it right out of the firebox on the kiln it was it was was, yeah oh so it turns out oh my god beautiful charcoal distilled brought people (laughs) uh yeah uh rinsed with ro uh definitely everything rinsed so we do just dumping a bunch of expensive whiskey over ashy charcoal (laughs) did you notice this at an actual question was there a proof change when you Rinsed it with so much water and then added whiskey. Did it soak up more water? Uh, it did. Um, I would have to go back and look at my notes, but I want to say we typically average about a percent drop uh, filtering it across that rinse charcoal. 
So that then has to reflect in our plans of, okay, we know one, obviously we know what loss we're getting when we harvest the barrels, when we get them, we typically do a three month, maybe a four month on the longest end of a finish in our own barrels. We know we're going to lose some on that. And then going across that charcoal, we know we're anticipating at least a little bit of a loss on it. So for the rye itself, what was kind of the impetus behind it? Was it purely business? You needed another product on the market because customers were asking for it. Were you excited about doing something new? Like kind of what was the driving force behind it? I mean, you know, business drives everything, right? He uh, hates <laughs> mashing out. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right. Oh, God. <laughs> Even a bunch of charcoal he had to use. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, we're sitting on mountains of charcoal. That's just money in the bank. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was, you know, there was obviously some resistance at the start, you know, you, people have asked me in the past, like, you know, okay, so I've been doing this for over seven years now. And they're like, Oh, where have you, what have you changed the most? Like what opinion has changed the most? And sourcing is the number one. When, when I started in the industry, it was, no, you have to do every single thing. You have to mill, mash, ferment, distill, age, blend, bottle. You cannot do it. Yeah. (laughs) We did vodka at my first distillery. We bought a vodka still so our vodka could be 100% own make. <laughs> it's a terrible decision at the time. Yeah. <laughs> terrible to not drive that decision. Exactly. <laughs> it's such a romantic idea, though. <laughs> it is. It is. And my first distillery was owned by farmers. We grew the grain that we used in all of our products. I mean, mm-hmm. you could not, like, for getting into the industry, you could not be more. We have control over every single piece of this process. Um, and, and I think a lot of it was, <laughs> right. you know, it was a good story, Yeah. but, but, right. you're, but you're right. And th- I think for a lot of it, it was the bad actors. You know, you had so many bad actors within the industry that were sourcing juice, calling it their own. And, you know, there's at least four of them on this call. Zeno's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> two of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, 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 it kind of was like, we, you know, we, we were looking at, again, we're, we were getting these stellar reviews, you know, we're, we're getting all these awards, we're getting all these accolades, we're getting all this media attention, because we were, I, I will argue, we're making really good whiskey. It's, again, it's hard to move a $60 bottle in volume. And at the end of the day, we're a business. And that was the conversation that started coming up was, you know, do we make a bourbon? Do we make a rye? Or, you know, that is going to require pulling our attention away from what we're known for. What is our bread and butter? What is the backbone of the business? And so it was this discussion of like, we basically, if, if we want to survive as a distillery, we need to find something that will be a volume leader that will allow us to continue to do what we love doing. And, you know, you know, cards on the table. I'm not a huge bourbon fan. I tend to prefer rye. Rye is my drink if I'm not doing single malt. And, you know, that was kind of the agreement within the business was also there's the bourbon market is so saturated right now. I mean, you have you have so many bourbons coming out every single day. How do you do something that sets you apart, that gets the attention of people that is a high, high enough quality that it moves in volume? And so it was kind of like, well, you know, rye, while bigger than it ever has been before is still a smaller market share. Maybe there's that chance to make a little more attention to it. And and again, just being able to do something that is is beyond what we're known for. You know, that idea of, you know, I, I think 
and I think maybe you guys would agree, maybe not. Blending is kind of an underappreciated factor within our industry. You know, the distillers tend to get the attention and then effective, good blending. I think you're seeing more and more people recognize the quality of it, but being able to take disparate flavor profiles of the same product to create something that is well-balanced and interesting and then, yeah, put our spin on it. So, so yeah, it, it, impetus was business, uh, as a lot of things are, but also doing it in a transparent way, doing it in a way that stayed true to the ethos that we've tried to have at the distillery and, you know, just just making it interesting enough and and similar enough. We, we call it a cousin. Uh, yeah. the, the rye is kind of a cousin to our single malts. We It's different packaging. You know, we made like the pain. kind that you kiss. Is it like that kind of cousin? <laughs> Depends on how many rise you've had for the evening. <laughs> that's, a, that's a question I didn't anticipate. <laughs> yeah, you did. You had it on your notes. Yeah, it's right. the number one. It's like, ask about is it cool to kiss your cousin? Working I mean, kissing cousin. We yeah. need a tiebreaker. Yeah. 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 Uh, we've all kissed Zeno's cousins. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, my cousins kiss everyone. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I love Sorry. that. That's I th- that explains a lot, and also it kind of leads into the idea that distilling is tough right now. I mean, yes, yeah, spirit sales are up, but a lot of craft producers are struggling. We've talked about this a lot, and you know, behind the scenes, a lot of people are talking about you know how to kind of the mid-sized distilleries and even the you know the smaller ones. How are they surviving right now? This sounds like one of the ways you guys are adapting. What else are you hearing? What else are you guys doing to adapt, survive, try and find success? Because it is tough. I mean, it's not impossible, but shit, it's tough. Selling bulk. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, exactly. We occasionally sell bulk spirits. Yeah, I mean, yep. <laughs> that's oh, hey, hey, look, hey, look at how much less labor is required to put it into packaging and take it to market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of I think the boat we're all in right now. And you know, I'm I'm encouraged. You know, we've we've heard all of us have heard of like these established craft guys that are going out of business and, you know, needing to raise money and they can't raise money. And, you know, the conversation keeps happening over and over again of like, well, people are saying they're supporting craft, but, you know, the the way to support craft is with your pocketbook. And, you know, you can, you can keep talking about supporting craft all day, but if you're not buying craft, if you're not doing at least what you can do help support local distillery or the distilleries in your area, it only goes so far. And, and yeah, it's 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 a conversation we have every day. Um, I'm, I'm thankful our sales are trending upward. Uh, we're lucky we've got a really good sales staff. Um, we've got a really good marketing team. You know, those are two key things that it doesn't matter how good the juice in the bottle is if no one knows about it. Is it's your sales staff bigger than your production team? It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Which is, yeah, yeah. Is that's it. why it's trending upwards. <laughs> how far are you distributed? Like where um, where all do you go? We are technically in twenty five states right now. Mm. Um, actively in four. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those like, are we distributed? Yeah, we are. We maybe get a couple of cases going out to some of these outlying states every once in a while, but you know, eighty percent of our business is Arizona. You know, we're, yeah. we're lucky that our, our, our state loves us. You know, our industry loves us here. Uh, we've got a really supportive craft spirits industry within Arizona. But interestingly enough, our number two is New York and our number three is California. And then those two flip flop. Um, yeah. 
we're we're in discussions now. We're about to bring a couple more states online. Um, but the issue then becomes, you know, how do you support that? Like, right. it's that understanding of again, it doesn't matter how good your stuff is. You have to have boots on the ground. You have to have people in there, you know, getting. And I hate this term, and it's used so often. Liquid to lips. Uh, it's it's such a it's such a sales term. Like a cousin. But like a cousin. <laughs> Cousins to lips. That's the <laughs> We only sell our product to our cousins. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's again we're we're we've got a good distribution network, but that's not doing the bulk of the lifting. You know, bulk of the lifting is isn't our own backyard. You said there's a a good craft distilling community in Arizona. Is there a, a guild? Are you active in it? Uh, yeah, there, there is a guild and what's been really exciting. So it was, it was kind of hmm, on life support, I guess would be a way to call it, you know, inactive for a while. Um, the, the, the person who had really headed it up had some health issues and he, when he wasn't able to kind of take care of it, as these things happen, it kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, but it's been in the last six or seven months that the Arizona Craft Distillers Guild has really started to pick up again. Uh, we were, I want to say it was a couple of months ago, there was the first like guild event in years where all of the guild members met up in Phoenix and did a big craft spirits festival. Nice. Yeah, there's another discussion happening of doing these kind of co-pairings. Arizona's kind of interesting because you can sell other Arizona products at your distillery. Hmm. And so, like, we've been really lucky that we've had some good partners up in the Phoenix area that sell some of our stuff. And, you know, we always try to push people to their places. And it's interesting, you know, so I came from Maryland where probably the most active guild that I've ever seen. And, you know, there's dozens of distilleries in Maryland, like uh, yep. Frederick County, where I was, has one of the highest concentrations of craft distilleries in the country, just in this one county. And there's eight, nine distilleries here in Arizona in a much larger land swath. And so getting getting us together is difficult, but it is encouraging to kind of see that that activity picking up again and that kind of focus on again that recognition of it's it's an adage it's it's probably rote but you know high tide raises all ships and if all of us are doing well all of us are doing well (laughs) yeah that spirit of collaboration is really important i i think it was a lot of states too it wasn't just arizona it feels like i mean washington state the guild is not as active as it used to be used to be one of the most active guilds but in a lot of ways washington state has been really quiet california has kind of broken into a bunch of different guilds um some of the other states that were really active have slowed down i think part of it was covid too they weren't able Mm -hmm. to do events which that's a big part of it is if you you mentioned it you need someone really active who can basically manage the guild and a lot of times that means funding an executive director and if you can't do events to pay them then you have to let them go and then the guild kind of it, it it slows down or disappears so it is good to hear that arizona is picking back up i hope we see that in other states too yeah, definitely. And and especially some states that like don't even have guild guilds yet. You know, so I, I started yeah. my distilling journey in Kansas and that was kind of one of my little passion projects before I left there to go to the East Coast was getting a guild started in Kansas. And, you know, at least to my knowledge now, that still hasn't happened. And so like again, just trying to get that sense of camaraderie and that sense of again 
we're working together, we're collaborating. What, we, what you're doing is different enough from what I'm doing that while we may be competitors with big air quotes because we're both producing craft spirits, that we're not a one-to-one competitor. Uh, I always point to people like, yeah, we're an American single malt, but we are an American single malt that does not taste like any other American single malts on the market right now. So you may not like what we're doing, but I guarantee you there's someone out there that is doing something you'll like and vice versa, that maybe you haven't found something, but maybe we're going to trend towards your taste buds. And so like, instead of siloing yourself off and becoming standoffish and being like, no, it's one for all and all for, or, being it's a it's a one for one being one for all all for one wow. yeah. i'm totally anti-guild actually so. <laughs> oh, dope, dope. yeah xena goes around and like shuts guilds down that's, yeah. that's like one of his claims to fame oh there's a guild meeting you're gonna go slash the tires yeah. Yeah. how, can I, make this, the side of the how car? can I make this less productive <laughs> starts hooking up with everyone's cousins <laughs> <laughs> that has nothing to do with guilds brian <laughs> And they're only, okay. his guild, yeah. they're only my cousins. Uh, Let's do this. Right? It's a passion project. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very passionate. Uh, speaking of the collaboration effort, um, because you are on the board of ACSA and obviously you are really intimately involved in kind of the national side as well, what's going on there? Like with the association, for a long time we had FET as like our big collaborative, you know, force that drove the industry together. Everyone was working together. That succeeded fantastically. But now it feels like we don't have that same kind of universal push. I mean, there's DTC, but what are you kind of seeing in that role on the board of ACSA? You know, how are we all collaborating together and what's the next big push? Is it DTC? Is it something else? Or we just kind of going along? DTC is the big one. And and it's, it's interesting. You would have thought changing federal tax code would be the bigger dragon, but there's so many more powers that are actively working against the idea of equitable DTC. Um, yeah. it, it, it's Stand with it's, beer. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Stand with beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, that and and then this this asinine infighting within within our industry. This somehow this idea that just because one side is seeking parity, it cuts into another. And that's, I, I, I just, God, that drives me nuts. And then, you know, we have our wholesalers who are actively fighting against it. And t- to me, it's that idea of, at least with FET, you kind of had a target. You know, we could yeah. we could talk to the TTB. We could have that focus on getting that changed within uh, within legislation. And DTC is just such an amorphous, complex concept. And because I mean, we are a, still... That's okay. a 50-state plan, right? Yeah. Exactly. Because every state has its own Sorry, rules. Puerto Rico. We're, <laughs> we're not talking about territories. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's it's you're we're still fighting the remnants of prohibition and leaving every state up to its own druthers to figure out how to regulate it. It, it it's not it's not a okay we're a focus we can focus this on a single area and that's the challenge now is how do you even approach that you know you you look to places like 
um, like New York, who they've been making some really aggressive efforts with the Guild and uh, some of like the wine producers on getting parity. You look at California, that they are fighting still tooth and nail to get these things passed. And kind of the way it seems right now is if you can get these major ones, these major kind of dominoes knocked down, that can at least serve as an example of here's how it can be done well, here's how it can be done well in a major market, and then extrapolate this out to 50 states who are all going to fight you. Yeah, I mean, I think you just look at how they overturned Roe v. Wade and you just match that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Simple, right? (laughs) We should be buying more people RVs. (laughs) We need a yacht and some Supreme Court friends. We got this in the fucking bag. (laughs) Oh my God. How do they never... No wrongdoing. Nothing nefarious. (laughs) We get get Zeno in there to seduce them and it's kind of... Wait, are they my cousins? Zeno's cousins. (laughs) Uh, solving problems here on the still talking podcast. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's the big one. And then, you know, it is, it's a, it's a challenge to, and I think like you see this with any professional organization and any profession really is how do you create a unified message when you have such a big tent? Yeah. You know, like that's, that's a conversation that happens a lot is, it's impossible impossible to be everything for everybody, but you have to be as close to it as you can be. And, you know, that is active listening, that is active engagement, and that is, you know, trying to find those ways to be like, can we bring this to at least kind of a good middle ground where we are serving the best interests of our constituents? And, you know, it's it's kind of a political answer. But it is it's difficult, but it's important. And especially as craft spirits has grown, as we see more and more people getting into the industry, as we see the plateau and the crash that is starting to happen within beer, mm-hmm. you know, how do how do you find that balance? How do you find that ability to to be the necessary support for the people that you're trying to represent and not see us all crash and burn? <laughs> Well, so and I you, stand with spirits. That's what you're saying. I mean, yeah. yeah, we need a website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need a website. It's it's not a very good website, but yeah. we're gonna get it out there. We're gonna get someone in an, in a leather apron on the cover. It's gonna be fantastic. It's just a splash. Can we? Page. It's just can a splash. We misrepresent page. data. Oh, can we? Can we misrepresent data? That would be great. I think if we just lie about the Wait, science, are we doing the Roe v. Wade thing again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we're going right back to that. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, if we just tell people the truth that beer is made with razor blades, like that's all it is. Like that's what alcohol. <laughs> I just, I'm just gonna say, beer killed my mother. You know what? If we're being honest, about it. <laughs> you know what's depressing about that? That's probably true for yeah. someone. So. And and that's. Uh, I mean, okay, so we're Mark, get you have to have a more work. sensitive tone on this. <laughs> oh, I will. I have always said that I'm just a glorified drug dealer. I mean, it's legal, and I encourage responsible intake of it. But you know, it's also a very real thing. We we create stuff that causes real harm, and yeah, you know, 
I don't think we have to worry too much because I feel like the next generation just doesn't give a shit. Like my son, who's 14 now, uh, he watched me. What was just it? I almost never drink vaporizers. <laughs> right? <laughs> he, no, he's such a delightful, adorable little teetotaler. I don't drink at home much, but like I had like two days in a row where I made myself like uh, a Jack or a, a whiskey Coke and that it was just ice, just some Coke and some whiskey. And he's like, Oh, the second day he's like, is there alcohol in that? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, Oh, you're drinking quite a bit, huh? Dad. I'm like, dude, <laughs> what? two days in a row, two drinks. And I didn't even argue with him. I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's a bit much. And he's like, yeah. And then he just walks off. Absolutely <laughs> shaded me. I was like, Damn. So then I, you poured I, another one to wash yeah, down your to balance it without, out. Without yeah. breaking eye contact. You just grab the <laughs> bottle, drink straight from the bottle. Oh, this is what a man sport, does. That's a sport craft with your Jack and Cokes, Brian. <laughs> I actually said Jack, but I don't. I don't actually have Jack. I have some Johnny Walker. But. Also, are you like a sixteen-year-old girl in nineteen ninety-eight? Yes. Like, I mean, who yeah. the f- what the fuck are you doing, man? Oh, dude, I will fucking drink root beer and whiskey all day long, and you cannot fucking oh. judge me because I have no self-esteem. Cool. So, fuck you. Yeah, and his son is busy judging him. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've already been torn down by yeah. my own children. There is a bottle of Jose Cuervo Mango Margarita pre-batched bottle in my fridge right now. Oh. And I'm going to pour some of that. I'm going to put an Australia beer in that. Yeah. Oh, basic white. I'm comfortable with it. I see you are a connoisseur as well, my friend. I'm a connoisseur. (laughs) It's rum day. Isn't it rum day? I mean, every day is a day, but I'm pretty sure it's rum day. It's It's the year of rum Rum day. Yeah, that's right. August 16th. Oh, well, that's perfect because that's what I'm sipping on right now, actually. (laughs) By pure coincidence. Uh, not a coincidence at all. That's also what I'm drinking. It's amazing <laughs> what I drink. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's an odd. It's odd that I'm here talking whiskey and I don't have whiskey in my glass. So I, I understand. No disrespect. So actually, back to whiskey, single malt. Um, what's going on with that? What's you, you had mentioned at the top when we started talking that you're trying to get people to recognize single malt. Um, what's what's the latest there in terms of? regulation as well as just the public perception what are you seeing uh so you know it's been the same refrain we've all been hearing for 13 14 months now uh you know we reach out to ttb and they're like yeah no it's still under consideration uh we thought it was going to happen last year thought it was going to happen this summer now we still don't know uh do you think it's just that they're ignoring it or is there one guy who goes in and considers it every day (laughs) That's all he does. <laughs> so this is just he he has a pondering room. He's gonna sit, yeah. stroke his beer. Some dude named Simon. He just sits there. He's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't. That's that's a really good question. I mean, it's the federal government. It it's a behemoth. It moves slowly. Uh, this is what would be the first addition into a recognized category of spirit since the seventies, I think. So kind of what an was it in the seventies? You can't throw out shit like that. If you I know, yeah. you oh, you're gonna him. We don't fact check on this fucking you're gonna podcast. You're going to ask me to cite sources. <laughs> yes. Jesus. I didn't know this was a kind of podcast. <laughs> me either. Yeah, this podcast is brought to you by the TTB. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's when they came out with Jack and Coke being a recognized yeah. cocktail. Yeah, right. <laughs> underneath it just says for Brian, recognized by <laughs> Brian's 14 year old son. Yeah. <laughs> He from across the room. <laughs> Normally, it's good enough to just throw out a. Now, don't quote me on this. 
or if I, if I, this is my awkward backpedaling. It's been a while. There you <laughs> go. It's been uh, a while. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, from, from what I can tell, you know, when, when the public comment section came out, there was, I think some, a little more powerful, powerful forces that were maybe taking, hi buddy. Uh, sorry. The, the dog is decided it's time for attention. So, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there were, there were, I think were some powerful forces that were basically trying to throw up some roadblocks. Uh, there were some concerns i believe with kind of how wide open the designation would be you know the american single malt whiskey commission had a very thoughtful definition of what would make american single malt but that offers fewer constraints than a lot of the other whiskey designations within the u.s and i think there was some blowback to that and that and again, I, I have no proof of this. I'm not privy to, you know, the inside halls of, of what's going on in TTB. But uh, that, that's just my theory is you have something that one is a new addition of a recognized designation and something that is so drastically different. That is what is already on the books. You know, maybe maybe there's a level of overcautiousness. It's definitely uh, a bunch place. of Scottish guys putting on fake American accents <laughs> and chanting. <laughs> I mean, you know, flattening out that Scottish accent. Well, I'm concerned <laughs> that it doesn't require new oak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we're you know we're we're pushing hard for that. You know, uh, Stephen paul our co-founder is on the board of directors for the american single malt whiskey commission and you know we we've got a big meeting coming up here in september and it's growing you know it's it can kind of be insular sometimes you know we can kind of function within our own little world of american single malt whiskey and you know talking to people who produce it and talking to enthusiasts and be like yeah everyone knows what this is and then we will have someone come into the tasting room and be like wow your bourbon doesn't taste like any bourbon i've had before <laughs> Fair enough. You're, Thank you. you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> right. That would be weird if it was. This doesn't taste like my Jack and Coke. <laughs> Brian told me I could get something good here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, you're working to establish something that's unique, something that's kind of ephemeral. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I love about American Single Malt, and I think is beneficial, but also can maybe sometimes stymie getting people enthused about it is, because we have this wide berth of production methods, it is not like when you taste bourbon in general, you kind of get an idea of what bourbon is going to taste like. Same thing with rye, same thing yeah, with wheat oak. whiskeys. <laughs> <laughs> oak, oak and sweet, oak and spice. Uh, but yeah, it's – it's it, so a good example talking to one of a, a local guy who's a huge fan of ours. He was – basically saying the same thing he's like man i've been trying to get people really into american single malt and they'll be like oh well i had x brand and i hated it and so i don't like american single malt and he's like well have you tried these three other brands because they are completely different well that seems like an awful lot of work i i know if i go to these four brands of bourbon this is what i'm going to get and so you know what what is a strong suit i think for a lot of things which is that that variety and you know, taking four very simple ingredients of barley, water, yeast, and barrel, and turning out an almost infinite array of flavor profiles, maybe that's a lot to take on. 
for people who aren't as into it as others. Right. Okay. I think I have a solution. We just need to go the tequila route. And so I'll ask you, what is the number one celebrity you'd ask, you know, to (laughs) be a celebrity single malt brand to basically revitalize this part of the industry? Oh, so the person that I would want, I don't know that they have the cachet anymore, but Hugh Jackman. I mean, come on, Wolverine. Let's get Wolverine involved. (laughs) And that's mostly actually because... He's not American, though. Ah, But he can flatten that American accent out. He can get that. I mean, okay, so most of these celebrities aren't Mexican, and they're (laughs) promoting tequila brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we're if we're gonna, if we're leaning into being a, co- a colonizer, let's do it. Let's <laughs> let's own it. Let's make it American. Uh, you know what? With that, we're, we're coming up on forty minutes, so we should probably call it. Mm-hmm. Zeno, do you want to grunt us out? And our final thought can be celebrity single malt brands. Oh yeah, I think this is great. <laughs> Who would you want to be a celebrity single malt? Well, you already said Hugh Jackman. I'm going to challenge you to pick an American. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mine would be a Jenner, right? Like, right? Oh, okay. a oh. different Jenner. Just grab a Jenner. One of the mini yeah. Jenner. <laughs> oh, so we're talking about actual like a, a lesser known Jenner versus, yeah. versus someone I I like as an artist. I oh no, say. no, I don't care. Oh no, no, Jenners. it can be whatever you want, or it could even pick one out from a lineup. I just know <laughs> they they are people. It's uh, bullshit. Zeno yeah. loves the Jenners. <laughs> <laughs> just Bruce. <laughs> oh that's uh, bad that's mean uh, that needs cut. <laughs> no no we're not cutting that one that's staying in and that's your choice is bruce jenner is your single mom friend uh i'm gonna pick uh martin short I think Martin Short, oh, there you go. like somehow representing an American single malt, because he looks like the kind of person that would wince a little bit every time he drank it, and that's just adorable to me. I mean, he's an adorable man in general. He really is. Wait, isn't he Canadian? You know what? Okay, can you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> your Obviously, all the good ones are going to be Canadian. American, yeah. He's Canadian. America's top hat. Same thing. <laughs> All right, Colton, what's your what's your pick? I'm I'm gonna sell it completely and go Taylor Swift. Oh, so I would love to sell great. all of the tickets. Yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> she's playing like four nights in New Orleans now. I'm like, oh my yeah. god. And Zeno's gonna be at five of them. I'll be yeah. yeah. I'll be there every night. It's a Swift. Yeah, you'd see that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, love you, dummies. All right. <laughs>